Romans 8, 26 through 30. The word of the Lord. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bear any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. So again, focusing on verse 28, I'm I'm sorry, verse 32 this morning. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So you kind of focus on the last half of the verse a little bit. So he's like, give us all things. And the, the idea here being, um, what are, what's meant by these all things? He didn't spare his own son, so surely he'll give us everything else. Graciously give us everything else. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, is Christ enough? Um, your father knows what you need before you ask. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it we need? What is it that we, we lack? What is it that is troubling us? Do we need more faith? Do we need encouragement? Do we need wisdom? Do we need more strength? Do we need his Holy Spirit to, to, to come well up within us with streams of living water, um, knowing that he groans within us with these wordless prayers? Do we need more friends to gather around us? Do we need perseverance? What is it that we need? And then we even have read here, we don't even know what to pray for as we ought. So that kind of means you don't really know exactly what you need. You just know there are times when you need, you need help. You need assistance. You need him. And there are times when you also might begin to think, well, maybe I don't deserve that. I'm not doing very well as a Christian. I'm not doing whatever it is you think you need to be doing, but you see that you sin. You see that you fall far short in lots of different ways. And his word at the beginning of Romans, as he's convicting in the world of sin, says all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. It includes us. But now as believers, as we've turned to him, we've rejected our sin, we've repented of our sin, we've turned to Christ. And we have faith, and we've been saved, and we've given his Holy Spirit, we've given him a new heart, we've had our heart sprinkled clean with pure water, as the baptismal waters um, show us, that we have cleansing and regeneration, we've died with Christ, raised with him to new life, we're united to his life, united to him in his death, and we're united to him in his resurrection, we're united to him in his exaltation. We're worshiping with him in the heavenly places. And then we begin through, um, I think it's Ralph Davis has some commentaries on Psalms and he calls it, was it sledging through, sloughing through the, the, uh, the paths of righteousness. And it's, it's something, he's like, we have paths of righteousness and on the picture, on the cover of the commentary, it's it's got a child in galoshes, if we still call them that, going through muddy. It's, you know, we're, we're, we're making a mess of things as we're trying to walk on paths of righteousness. And if we were to examine our own lives in light of the Holy Scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, or even those around us who love us and might be willing to tell us what they see as the truth with us, it's like we're not doing that great. We have lots of places in our lives where we fall short, where we blatantly sin where we recognize the fact that we just, if we just had more faith, so what is it that we need? I might not, what if we don't make it to the end? What if we're with Paul is like, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. What if you don't fight so well? What if your race isn't quite going so well? What if you're tripping up and falling and getting stuck and you're just not feeling like you're doing very well? God's not very happy with you, how he's, how you have been Treating his Holy Spirit, his word, his church, your, his people. I don't know, fill in the blanks as you're hopefully are praying prayers of confession of sin to our Father, followed up by um, preaching the gospel to ourselves, where we recognize the fact that um, it'd be very easy, and a lot of churches do it, to, to beat up on you guys. You know, and I could, it's, it's hard for me to beat up on you guys when I, it's like I have to feel kind of hypocritical because I, I, and I certainly don't want to get up here and beat up on me in front of everybody, but we just don't do that great. We don't, do, do not love the Lord with all of our faculties all to, to the extent that we should all the time. Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor yourself. How? Law. Ten Commandments sums it up. We are to obey the law, but that's not how you're saved. And this is what God is reminding us of here as we think about what is it going to take for me to make it? What is it going to take for me to be able to fight the good fight of faith? What's it going to be able to take for me to be able to finish the race? Because is it possible, and some people, some Christians believe and teach this, that it is possible for you to be saved and then be unsaved. It is possible for you to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit and then it's up to you as to whether you're going to make it. There are some who teach that it's even possible that nobody even ever gets saved by the sacrifice of Christ. That he died on the cross. God the Father sends his son, fingers crossed, hoping somebody's going to get it. And if anybody does accept Christ, wonderful. If they don't, well, still, Jesus, it was good of you to do it. And the Father is pleased with that. That's a teaching. It's, a, it's an errant teaching, but it's a teaching. And it cannot go, Scripture doesn't, it, that does not bear the weight of Scripture. And what it does is it puts us under a lot of burden, too. How do we know we're saved? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. That's where the gospel has to come in. 
But then what we want to do is say, well, how am I doing in this? How am I doing in that? And how am I doing in that? And those are good questions. As a matter of fact, our spirits, as we're regenerated, we want to love God more. And we want to go to his word. How do I love God more? You know, not having any guys before him, not worshiping him in ways that he hasn't prescribed, not taking his name in vain, uh, remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, honoring parents, not hating people, murdering people, not, um, being faithful to our spouses, um, not stealing, um, not bearing false testimony against each other, and not coveting, not just desiring what other people have as if it were ours. That's Ten Commandments. That's law. Who in here is like, you know, I really want to want to steal. You know, I really want to want to be able to do these. I want to sin. Oh, Lord, you know, you can't pray for that. So it's like our hearts are different and changed. A non-believer who's still in a sin fighting against God is going to reject God. They might not say, yeah, I want to be bad. But they don't want to confess how bad they are in light of a holy God and say, I confess how deep my sin is and I need you, oh God. And so in the previous verses, he says, there are those whom he's foreloved. That he has foreknown. And those who he has foreknown, he has done something. If you are in him, if you have faith, if you have come to him truly in faith and you are calling upon his name, he says that he, you have a, been foreordained to something. And it is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like him in heart and conduct and always becoming like he was. And then it says that those are called. An inward calling, and you're justified, declared righteous. And that's what we're, that's what we're, that's what we're hanging our hats on. That's what we're hoping for. Is like what I have to offer God when I stand before Him in prayer, when I stand before Him in worship, when I stand before Him at any time ever is the righteousness of Christ given to me from Him to me, so that I have the righteousness of Christ imputed to me, credited to me, so that we stand before the righteous Judge, completely innocent because of the blood of Christ. And then we have sanctification, which is being declared, being, you're, you are called a holy one now. You are holy. You are set apart to his purposes. But now, also, there is a progressive sanctification. And what that means is we begin to die more and more to sin, and we begin to live more and more to righteousness. And I heard somebody, I was listening to White Horse Inn, I tend to listen to that on my drive-in on Sunday mornings, and he said, you had to be careful with that because it's like a person, and I remember doing this myself when I was little, my dad would plant gardens and he'd let me plant seeds, and one of the things that, that I would do too is like, you want to dig up the seed to see if it's growing yet. And he says, you can't grow, you can't do that with your crops, you can't go out there, you can't dig up the seed and see how it's doing and plant it back. So a constant inspection of your life and how you doing is not necessarily the best way to grow in Christ. Because you don't grow in Christ by simply trying to keep the law. You grow in Christ by understanding what he's done for you. You grow in Christ by understanding the gospel. You grow in Christ by, by understanding more and more that it's not you. that he, it's, not, it's, not, it's him. You know, why should I let you into my heaven? <laughs> I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, him. He did it. He said I could come. He said, you know, that's it. It's the gospel. But in the meantime, we know how far short we fall. We still struggle with the flesh, and we still struggle with sin. But what we have to be able to do is, again, and I don't really believe I can say it enough, is preach the gospel to yourself. And then so you have to say, well, what's the gospel? That God himself knew that we were dead in our sin, and that he chose for himself before the foundation of the world a people for whom he himself would become man 
and live a perfect life in our place and then die the death that we deserve because of our fall in Adam in the garden. And then he was cursed. He took our sin on him so that he might give his righteousness to us, which is what the Bible says. And then he died, truly dead, for three days. And he arose again on the third day for our justification, is what it says. He rose to be able to say, it is finished, it is done, I've defeated death and hell. I can now give you my righteousness because my righteousness prevailed over death. My righteousness was sufficient, my blood was sufficient to be able to taste death and that be enough. Your death isn't going to do that for yourself. If you're apart from Christ, you're not just going to have to taste death because you will never, your sin is so infinitely evil, sin is so infinitely bad that an infinitely holy God will never get to the end of having you pay for that. And it's hard to, to fathom this infinite holiness of God. But we have the infinite righteousness of Christ, the infinite worth of God the Son, who when he comes and tastes death for us, it is more than sufficient. So that for those who are united to him, you got to get out of Ad, the covenant with Adam and get into the covenant with, with Christ. You get adopted into Christ's family through faith, repentance and faith in him, calling upon his name, and then he gives you his righteousness. He clothes you with his righteousness. So that in the garden, as you may recall, there was a time, do not eat of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, because when the day you do, you shall die. So Satan comes in, he tells Eve, God knows that when you do this, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. You will not surely die. And so Eve, seeking, grasping to be like God, grasping for the fruit, takes it and eats and gives it to Adam, and he also ate. They recognize the fact then that they're naked, which is they are apart from God. They're without God. They have no righteousness. They have nothing. What are we doing now? We're open. We're exposed. We're ashamed. And then God comes and he says, you know, cast judgment upon them. They have made these fig leaves. They've made for covers over themselves so that they might not, their sin could be hidden as we try to cover our own sin. And God covers them with the skin of an animal instead and this is most likely um, God the Son, pre-incarnate, walking in the spirit of the day. He's there in the garden with them. And this animal is sacrificed, and this blood is spilled, and the skin is given to them, prefiguring Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, that he one day would die, that he one day would cover them, cover us with his righteousness, so that they did not die that day, but death did enter into creation, because they were cast out from the tree of life, lest they continue forever like this. And so we must die. It's a blessing that we die because the last enemy death will be destroyed and we will live again. And we receive, and there will be a new heavens and new earth and glorified bodies and we don't even know it hasn't entered into the mind the things that await us. But we're talking about God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three in person, God is a spirit, as the short catechism teaches. God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, justice, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God created, God was in perfect relationship with himself for all eternity, outside of time. So he didn't create the world to have somebody to love, as I was 
kind of, I don't know if I was taught that or just picked that up when I was little or something. He was in perfect relationship. He created all things to glorify himself. The Father might glorify the Son. The Son might glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit might be glorified. The Holy Spirit would glorify the Father and the Son so that God would be more glorified. And so he creates. And before the foundations of the world, the Lamb is slain. For even the plan of salvation is a part of the plan so that God could demonstrate the great love that the Son would have for the Father. And the Father could demonstrate great love that he would have for even those who have lived in open rebellion against him, that he would have so much compassion that he could even give his own Son as a sacrifice so that many others could be brought into a saving relationship with him that, doesn't, that don't deserve it. Angels did not get this. Angels were created holy as well. They fell. Not all of them, but many of them. And there was no salvation. And there were many who stayed that did not fall. And they have remained in this state. And they are kept in this state. They're called elect angels too. If there's not for God holding them, they would also maybe be brought away. But for us, for mankind, God created us differently. We die. Not originally. Adam could have lived forever, continuing to take from the tree of life, continuing to take from the tree of life. But instead, he chose to eat the fruit and died. But God said, I'm doing something that you didn't think about, that even Satan didn't conceive of. A gracious, forgiving love. A love that goes beyond obedience. A love that reaches into the depths of our suffering and sorrow and can enter into it even. And is not a, an exalted love where as a human Eve was tempted because she was told, God, doesn't, God knows that when you eat, you're going to be like him. So she grasps to be after God. And then Jesus comes, and we're told in Philippians that he became man, and he humbled himself and did not think that to grasp for God, was a, that to be like God was a thing to be grasped. Eve, I've got to, got to be like him. And Jesus, being like him in every way, said, I don't, I don't need to be exalted in the way that God is I'm here as as man and therefore as a man who when you've seen me you've seen the father he says because we're just alike and our character is as a man I need to humbly put myself and think about other people's more important than myself for I must die that many might live and so he has this plan of salvation before the foundation of the world this great plan of salvation. And then we concern ourselves with, okay, Jesus died for me. Or Jesus died as a sacrifice for sin. And I'm, 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 I'm trusting in that. But maybe things might happen in my life over time and I'd start to get hindered. I start to get hampered. And we're told as a parable of the seed of the sower that there is seed. The gospel gets thrown out. There are some people, it's like it just falls on rocky soil. There's some people hear the gospel and they're like, eh, nothing. Hate it. And then there's some, and it falls in, in thorny places. But some is like birds come and they eat it up and stuff. And some they fall in, in thorny places. And so that they, they receive it for a while. There are some people who are like, you know, I make a profession. And I don't like it when people talk about somebody came forward at a worship service or did something and they got saved. It's, it's loose language. What they did was they made a profession of faith. And that's good. But is it true and lasting? 
And that's the question. It's like, did they make an actual profession of faith? Or are they like in a battle in a foxhole and they're reaching out for anything that might be out there to save them? And they're emotionally drawn to something for a time. But then the Bible says, then the cares of the world, the desire for riches and all these kind of things, they choke out the word and then it, it falls away and it's gone. And so that's kind of where we ought to be. Ooh, is it me? We should sort of be like the disciples around Jesus at the Last Supper. And he's, he's predicting that one of you who dips their hand in the cup with me are going to betray me. And at one of the moments where they're actually at their best, instead of being, you know, Peter-like and saying, well, I'll never do it. I was not going to be. You're not talking about me. I know you're not talking about me. Each of them say, is it me? Are you predicting you know, I'm going to do that? Who, who, who is it? And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we the type of person that has clung to Christ for something, but when things go hard, when things get difficult, or if I desire to have other things, I want to be like God, do I then just quickly forget them and I do what I want to do, and I'm just using this religious stuff for my personal convenience? And you got to ask yourself that. Do you really believe these things? Do you feel the Holy Spirit within your heart? And it's not all just subjective. It's like, do I feel like I'm a believer? But it should be part of it. I mean, if you have no emotional attachment to Christ, to God at all, that's a problem. But if all you have is just emotional feel-goodness, and I know this, and I don't care what I believe, and I don't know what I believe, I'm just like, it's like, okay, you're just silly. You have to worship in spirit and truth. Do you know that you're a believer? Do you know that you're in Christ? And what you have to do is just go, I'm trusting that I am. I'm praying that I am. I'm clinging to your word that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you clinging to the promises? Because I don't believe the person that accepted the word of God is clinging to promises. That falls away. I believe that person just said things outwardly because it felt good at the time. And most of you have been here long enough where it's like, that's not you. You've been through stuff and you've gone through it. And so we want to know, is God for me? And if you're hoping he is, if you're praying he is, if you're all worried that, oh gosh, perhaps it's me. What if I'm falling away? What then you need to rest in the promises of the gospel. I'm talking about somebody that rejects it, says so walking out the door and going, I got no use for this. I don't care about it. I'm not even worried about it anymore. I'm done with it. Is that you? I don't think so. I mean, you're here, but maybe you're done with it and somebody made you come. I don't know, but that's the type of person. That's what happens, and they reject Christ. Rejecting any work of the Holy Spirit that was happening at all. They're rejecting it. But for those of us who are called, this internal working of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, there's something else that happened to us where it's something within us where we know it is God that holds us. Because if he were to let us go, maybe we would be one to go out the door. And then that concerns us. Because why aren't we strong enough? Why aren't we? So we have to pray, give me more faith. I believe, help my unbelief. And what you see in this passage, in verse 31, last week, all these things he's talked about, if God is for us, who can be against us? And as we read further, it's like, what we're seeing is, all these different things he heaps up, and he's like, None of these things can be against you. None of these things can, is greater than the love of Christ. And what he's saying in this passage is, he who did not spare his own son, his own son. Now, we're all sons by adoption, but this is God the son, the special son, and he being God the father. He who did not spare his own son. Now, this goes back to, to Genesis, I wrote, the verse down, but we're not going to turn to it anyway. But it's in Genesis where um, Abraham is told to sacrifice Isaac. 
his son, his monogenes, his only son. So he tells him, you know, the son that you love more than anything, the son of promise, don't you take him and we're gonna, you're going to sacrifice him. And then we're told in the New Testament that Abraham reasoning because he's trusting. And this is a, an amazing thing, not just of how much faith Abraham had, but how much the Holy Spirit was pointing him in the direction of the gospel. Because what he reasons is, God has promised me this son who's going to have many children, so, but yet he's telling me to sacrifice him. So what must be happening is he's going to bring him back to life. There's going to be a resurrection. And he was right about that. But it wasn't going to be his son. It was going to be God's own son that was going to be resurrected. That that was the sacrifice that was coming. And that through Abraham's faith, he's pointing to this. And in Genesis, where you read the account, the word there is the same word that's here in the Septuagint, Hebrew to Greek. But he says, now I know. God stops Abraham from sacrificing his son as he raises the blade. And he says, stop it. For now I know that you truly love me. You're not loving your son over me. You love me because you have not spared your own son. It's the same word there. And here he's telling us God did not spare his own son. Now, you, can, you know what it means to spare somebody. A judge may spare somebody from the death penalty. He spared them that. It gives them a lesser penalty. You may spare your children. They deserve a, you know, a terrible punishment, but you spared them from that. You kind of just maybe put them in a corner for a minute, you know, something, but you spared them from what they really deserved. But God did not do that. God did not spare his own son to save us. And his son was righteous and didn't deserve anything but for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So remember in the previous verse, he says, if God is for us. And here he says he gave him up for us. And he adds another word, all, which means he's not talking about every single person in the whole world. Because here we're talking about um, Verse 29, those he foreknew and predestined and conformed to be the image of his son, or they might be the firstborn among many brethren. These he predestined and called, and those he called he justified, and those he justified he glorified. That's not everybody in the world. That's the church. Those are believers. And he's talking about every single one of you, every single one of us who are believers in Christ, us all. He delivered him up for us all. Who did he deliver him up to? And we're told in, in Acts that it was, he actually turns him over to the powers of darkness. So that Jesus says, your hour has now come. But he's turning him over to the Father's own judgment, own wrath. The, the, the unbelievable, unfathomable, imaginable wrath of God, which God calls, communicates to us as hell, a lake of fire. So this is for the non-believers, you know, is it a literal lake of fire? It's like, you know, who knows, but it's, it's at least as bad as that. It's the only thing we can come up with. I mean, you burn your finger, you see how bad it is. Imagine, you know, hell forever, dealing with your own sin before a holy God, and there being no let up, no nothing but justice, pure Justice. And then they have no ability to deal with it. And this is what Jesus tasted for us. But God the Father, for us all, gave his son. Not for every person in the world. 
Only for those who, who turn to Christ. John 3.1 says, See how great a love the Father has given to us, that we would be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And this is the great love that God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. It's Genesis 22.16, by the way. I found my, my, my verse there. And God provides a ram for Abraham, for Isaac. In the garden, there's an animal that's provided and covers Adam and Eve at the sacrifice of when there's going to be another death. God provides a, a ram, which is, it's a lamb. It's a, a lamb is a, it's a sheep. It's a, a lamb is a young sheep. A ram is an adult male sheep. Jesus dies as an adult male. There's this sacrifice that's provided again for us where Jesus does not spare I mean, God does not spare his own son, but delivers him for us all. Isaiah 53.10 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. So God is for us, and therefore who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but for us all he delivered him up to all the angry powers of darkness and to his own infinitely harsh wrath to taste death and hell for us all who believe. So we have to make sure that you are trusting in Christ, our substitute, because your blood will never be enough apart from Christ. There is no eternal life. There's just eternal death, it's called, where it goes on and on and on. It doesn't come to an end. It's like if it, if it ended and there's nothingness, it would be as if nothing ever happened. It's this total life that we need to come to terms with one so that you know how greater salvation you have and that might motivate you to to pray for others and seek to reach out to others who are are lost and are facing this terrible future but the purpose of this passage is to help us to know that all the things that we need to maintain the faith all the way to our death all the things that we need to get to our last day to be beloved by him that we are secure in his hand, that he would not give his son for you and then just let you go by withholding something you need. If the purpose of the death of Christ on the cross was to save sinners and then you go to him and you're clinging to him and then something else can happen, God will finish what he started. He's not going to give the greatest gift ever and then let other little things happen there that are going to pull you out of his hand. When he saves, he saves. Acts 2.23 says, This Jesus was delivered up according to a definite plan and foreknowledge of God, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so, otherwise, he would not have triumphed over them. That God triumphs over evil in this way. And there's a, a famous pastor from the, well, semi-famous, Octavius Winslow. If you know who Octavius Winslow is, 19th century preacher. He says this. Is every commentary I read, almost every one of them quotes this. So it's really um, been picked up on. It was the Father who delivered him up. Not the host of darkness. Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy. But the Father for love. And then John Murray has a quote that he says, If the father did not spare his own son, but delivered him up to the agony and shame of Calvary, 
how could he possibly fail to bring to fruition the end contemplated in such a sacrifice? So the purpose for God was to bring many sinners to salvation and glory. This is purpose. You were foreknown. You were foreloved. And you've been called. And what he wants us to know is, if God did not spare his own son for us all, in other words, but delivered him up for us all, so it has to be able to be personalized and say, for you. You have to be able to say, God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for me. How is he not going to graciously give us in him all things? So if there's something that you need, he's going to give it to you. Now, your children will come to you and say, you know, it's kind of funny how your kids will come to you and they don't come to you and say, you know, I really desperately, covetously, and desirously, I just want this. I just want it. It's not going to do me any good. It's not going to help me in any way. It's going to make my fingers sticky and you angry. But, oh, I want it so much. They say, I need it. <laughs> I need that. I need this. And we do the same thing when we pray. I remember, you know, many times in my life when I wanted something, it was, I need it. I need this car. I need that thing. I need that. You know, it's like, but God knows, and we know for our children, a lot of things that they think they need, they just want, and it's not something they need. And a lot of things they need, they don't want. So God will give us all things that we need to bring us to the glorification that he says already awaits us. So do you need more faith? Do you need more wisdom? Do you need better friends? Do you need a good church? Do you need the gospel? Do you need the Holy Spirit? Do you need a better job? Do you need air? Do you need this or that or that or this? If you really need it, and not just for physical good, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If it is needed for your good and his glory, for your salvation, for your continuation in the faith, He's not going to withhold that from you. I think it's, it's summed up by Christ as he's preaching the, it's in Matthew chapter 6. It's part of the um, Sermon on the Mount where he's preaching. And he says to us, because there's a song, Shy Lin is the guy's name. He's a Christian rap artist. But he says, there's a line that says, if you come to God for money, God is not your God, money is. You have to be careful for that. If you come to God for any of your supposed physical needs, what are you going to do when you don't get those physical needs met? Or hard things happen. You come to God for an easy life. You come to God for everything to go well. You come to God so you'll be happy. You come to God so... What happens when those things are gone? Job experienced that. And not for anything he did wrong, but the fact that God was doing something that Job was unaware of. And he says, I can't, I remain faithful. I did not come to God. Can we worship God when I, we get good things and not also worship him when hard things happen to? So, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and, and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he doesn't mean don't save, don't have a savings account. He doesn't mean don't 
don't have an emergency fund. He doesn't, you know, he's not saying these things. What he's saying is, is that your treasure? Is that, you know, treasure? It's like that's the thing about the dragon protects the, the hoard, the treasure. It's like, oh, you can't have it. You know, I got it all. I got it. What's he going to do with it? And I just read some, like an Aesop's fable. I was looking through some of those. And uh, there was one about a guy that had a, all this gold. And he melted it all down into a big stone. And he just buried it. Because he didn't want anybody else to have it. And then one day somebody comes along and they replace the gold stone with this irregular stone. And the guy goes out there and he digs it up just to look at it. Oh, just want to see it. And he looks at it and it's a stone. And he's like, ah! And some guy comes around and he says like, what are you worried about? You weren't going to do anything with it anyway. As far as you knew, there's still gold there. Your treasure is still there as far as you're not going to do anything with it. And that's the way you can be with your treasure. You know, he says, whatever it is, I, I got to protect it. I got to have it. I can't, you're not going to use it. You're not going to, you know, he's saying, don't treasure. Don't lay up yourself treasures on earth. You should have a treasure in heaven. Nobody can break in and steal that treasure. Because where your treasure is, there's your heart. So what are we treasuring? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, and this is all in the context of giving you all things. So you got to be careful when you think of this. This is one of those wonderful. I don't know why the, the out-of-context church doesn't constantly use this one, too. They do the, I can do all things, you know, no matter what it is. You know, I can do all things. And so here's another one. God will give me all things. I mean, maybe they are using that one, too. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And I'm pretty sure he's not just talking about clothes. He's talking about all that we need for life, for faith, and we've been clothed with his righteousness. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now he says lots of neat things. He's like, you do need these things. Your Heavenly Father knows. But don't be anxious. Don't be like, you should do what you need to do to take care of these things. But what we should be seeking is his kingdom and his righteousness. And these other things that we work for, that we we plan for, that we know we need, that the Heavenly Father knows that we also need, He's gifted us in ways that we're able to do these things as well. But what we need to set our mind on, set our treasure on, is an understanding that we worship a God who not only created all things, but created a church. And He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him Give us all things. 
So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have promised such great things in our lives. And we have disordered emotions. We have disordered desires. We, we, we don't, thank you for telling us that you are aware that we often don't know how to pray as we ought. But you've given us the Holy Spirit that prays within us for groanings too deep for words. Help us to be in your word. Help us to be in your church. Help us as we come to the table to even recognize it's like you've given us yourself. This is the sacrament whereby you, Father, show us how great your love is for us, that you gave up your only son. You did not spare him, but you delivered him up for us all. So when we become anxious, we become worried, when we become concerned about life and, and a lot of things are going on around us and, and how we'll end up or, or, or what's going to happen. Lord, help us to, to know that not only do you work in all things for our good, not only are you for us, but that you will provide for us everything that we need. Lord, help us to understand the difference between our earthly desires and our spiritual needs, that we do not live by bread alone but that we need you every minute of every day. And you are with us and for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.